Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On. But doctor, it is only one moment, one little moment, and the time will be saved, entirely saved. Because there is nothing to see now. It is too late. It want ten minutes to four, and the Louvre close at four. Only one little moment, doctor. The treacherous miscreant, after four breakfasts and a gallon of champagne, to serve us such a scurvy trick. We got no sight of the countless treasures of art in the Louvre galleries that day, and our only poor little satisfaction was in the reflection that Ferguson sold not a solitary silk-dress pattern. I am writing this chapter partly for the satisfaction of abusing that accomplished knave Billfinger, and partly to show whosoever shall read this how Americans fare at the hands of the Paris guides, and what sort of people Paris guides are. It need not be supposed that we were a stupider or an easier prey than our countrymen generally are, for we were not. The guides deceive and defraud every American who goes to Paris for the first time, and sees its sights alone or in company with others as little experienced as himself. I shall visit Paris again some day, and then let the guides beware. I shall go in my war-paint. I shall carry my tomahawk along. I think we have lost but little time in Paris. We have gone to bed every night tired out. Of course we visited the renowned International Exposition. All the world did that. We went there on our third day in Paris, and we stayed there nearly two hours. That was our first and last visit. To tell the truth, we saw at a glance that one would have to spend weeks, yea, even months, in that monstrous establishment to get an intelligible idea of it. It was a wonderful show, but the moving masses of people of all nations we saw there were a still more wonderful show. I discovered that if I were to stay there a month, I should still find myself looking at the people instead of the inanimate objects on exhibition. I got a little interested in some curious old tapestries of the thirteenth century, but a party of Arabs came by, and their dusky faces and quaint costumes called my attention away at once. I watched a silver swan, which had a living grace about his movements and a living intelligence in his eyes, watched him swimming about as comfortably and as unconcernedly as if he had been born in a morass instead of a jeweler's shop, watched him seize a silver fish from under the water and hold up his head and go through all the customary and elaborate motions of swallowing it. But the moment it disappeared down his throat, some tattooed South Sea Islanders approached me, and I yielded to their attractions. Presently I found a revolving pistol, several hundred years old, which looked strangely like a modern colt. But just then I heard that the Empress of the French was in another part of the building, and hastened away to see what she might look like. We heard martial music. 
we saw an unusual number of soldiers walking hurriedly about. There was a general movement among the people. We inquired what it was all about, and learned that the Emperor of the French and the Sultan of Turkey were about to review twenty-five thousand troops at the Arc de l'Etoile. We immediately departed. I had a greater anxiety to see these men than I could have had to see twenty expositions. We drove away and took up a position in an open space opposite the American minister's house. A speculator bridged a couple of barrels with a board, and we hired standing places on it. Presently there was a sound of distant music. In another minute a pillar of dust came moving slowly toward us. A moment more, and then, with colors flying and a grand crash of military music, a gallant array of cavalrymen emerged from the dust and came down the street on a gentle trot. After them came a long line of artillery, then more cavalry in splendid uniforms, and then their Imperial Majesties Napoleon III and Abdul Aziz. The vast concourse of people swung their hats and shouted. The windows and housetops in the wide vicinity burst into a snowstorm of waving handkerchiefs, and the wavers of the same mingled their cheers with those of the masses below. It was a stirring spectacle. But the two central figures claimed all my attention. Was ever such a contrast set up before a multitude till then? Napoleon in military uniform, a long-bodied, short-legged man, fiercely moustached, old, wrinkled, with eyes half-closed, and such a deep, crafty, scheming expression about them. Napoleon, bowing ever so gently to the loud plaudits, and watching everything and everybody with his cat-eyes from under his depressed hat-brim, as if to discover any sign that those cheers were not heartfelt and cordial. Abdul Aziz, absolute lord of the Ottoman Empire, clad in dark-green European clothes, almost without ornament or insignia of rank, a red Turkish fez on his head, a short, stout, dark man, black-bearded, black-eyed, stupid, unprepossessing, a man whose whole appearance somehow suggested that, if he only had a cleaver in his hand and a white apron on, one would not be at all surprised to hear him say, A mutton roast to-day, or will you have a nice porterhouse steak? Napoleon III, the representative of the highest modern civilization, progress, and refinement, Abdul Aziz, the representative of a people by nature and training filthy, brutish, ignorant, unprogressive, superstitious, and a government whose three graces are tyranny, rapacity, blood. Here, in brilliant Paris, under this majestic arch of triumph, the first century greets the nineteenth. Napoleon III, Emperor of France, surrounded by shouting thousands, by military pomp, by the splendors of his capital city, and companioned by kings and princes. This is the man who was sneered at and reviled and called bastard, yet who was dreaming of a crown and an empire all the while, who was driven into exile, but carried his dreams with him, who associated with a common herd in America and ran foot-races for a wager, but still sat upon a throne in fancy who braved every danger to go to his dying mother, and grieved that she could not be spared to see him cast aside his plebeian vestments for the purple of royalty, who kept his faithful watch and walked his weary beat a common policeman of London, but dreamed the while of a coming night when he should tread the long-drawn corridors of the Tuileries, who made the miserable fiasco of Strasbourg saw his poor shabby eagle, forgetful of its lesson, refused to perch upon his shoulder, delivered his carefully prepared, sententious burst of eloquence upon unsympathetic ears, found himself a prisoner, the butt of small wits, a mark for the pitiless ridicule of all the world, 
yet went on dreaming of coronations and splendid pageants as before, who lay a forgotten captive in the dungeons of Hum, and still schemed and planned and pondered over future glory and future power. President of France at last, a coup d'état, and surrounded by applauding armies, welcomed by the thunders of cannon, he mounts a throne and waves before an astounded world the scepter of a mighty empire. Who talks of the marvels of fiction? Who speaks of the wonders of romance? Who prates of the tame achievements of Aladdin and the Magi of Arabia? Abdul Aziz, Sultan of Turkey, Lord of the Ottoman Empire, born to a throne, weak, stupid, ignorant almost as his meanest slave, chief of a vast royalty, yet the puppet of his premier, and the obedient child of a tyrannical mother, a man who sits upon a throne, the beck of whose finger moves navies and armies, who holds in his hands the power of life and death over millions, yet who sleeps, sleeps, eats, eats, idles with his eight hundred concubines, and when he is surfeited with eating and sleeping and idling, and would rouse up and take the reins of government and threaten to be a sultan, is charmed from his purpose by wary Faud Pacha, with a pretty plan for a new palace or a new ship, charmed away with a new toy, like any other restless child, a man who sees his people robbed and oppressed by soulless tax-gatherers, but speaks no word to save them who believes in gnomes and genii, and the wild fables of the Arabian Nights, but has small regard for the mighty magicians of to-day, and is nervous in the presence of their mysterious railroads and steamboats and telegraphs, who would see undone in Egypt all that great Mehemet Ali achieved, and would prefer rather to forget than emulate him, a man who found his great empire a blot upon the earth a degraded, poverty-stricken, miserable, infamous agglomeration of ignorance, crime, and brutality, and will idle away the allotted days of his trivial life, and then pass to the dust and the worms, and leave it so. Napoleon has augmented the commercial prosperity of France in ten years to such a degree that figures can hardly compute it. He has rebuilt Paris, and has partly rebuilt every city in the state. He condemns a whole street at a time, assesses the damage, pays them, and rebuilds superbly. Then speculators buy up the ground and sell, but the original owner is given the first choice by the government at a stated price before the speculator is permitted to purchase. But above all things he has taken the sole control of the empire of France into his hands, and made it a tolerably free land, for people who will not attempt to go too far in meddling with government affairs. No country offers greater security to life and property than France, and one has all the freedom he wants, but no license, no license to interfere with anybody or make anyone uncomfortable. As for the Sultan, one could set a trap anywhere and catch a dozen abler men in a night. The bands struck up, and the brilliant adventurer Napoleon III, the genius of energy, persistence, enterprise, and the feeble Abdulaziz, the genius of ignorance, bigotry, and indolence, prepared for the forward march. We saw the splendid review. We saw the white-moustached old Crimean soldier, Canrobert, Marshal of France. We saw, well, we saw everything, and then we went home satisfied. End of chapter 13 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.